Managing risk and protecting your profits on a dairy farm isn't always easy, but it's becoming increasingly more important to have a good understanding of milk markets to better protect your profits through more frequent volatile periods. Welcome to the Protecting Your Profits podcast, a brief monthly update where I will take a deeper dive into topics or trends that will help you better understand milk markets and risk management. I'm Zach Myers, Risk Education Manager for the Center for Dairy Excellence. Let's see what's happening this month. Welcome back to the Protecting Your Profits monthly podcast. This month, we're actually bringing you two podcasts. Um, If you didn't catch the first one, Zach actually gave us a great breakdown of 2020 annual cow numbers and milk production results based on the USDA's February milk production report. So I would encourage you to check that one out. For this podcast, I thought it would be good for Zach to share the results of our 2020 dairy producer survey. There are a lot of insights we can glean from it, and we recently published the results online. So to give you some background, last year we developed a survey in cooperation with Penn State's Smeal College of Business to see what the primary operator and herd demographics were for the state of Pennsylvania. We also wanted to address the impacts of the first outbreak of COVID-19 on Pennsylvania's dairy farms. The survey also asked some financial related questions and asked dairy farmers to rank the importance of factors like the use of outside advisors. So we mailed the survey to over 5,000 dairy farmers in June of 2020, and we collected responses until the end of July. And then Zach spent the rest of the year working closely with Penn State College of Business to analyze the results and put them together in a report for everybody. So that's kind of where this data is coming from. And I know he spent a long time analyzing trends and pulling out the interesting tidbits for you guys. So Zach, I know you put a lot of time into this and found a lot of really interesting data and trends to share. So let's start by having you give us a brief explanation of how many surveys you received and how exactly you went about analyzing all of this data. Sure, I'd be glad to. First of all, I'd like to thank the 711 people that took the time to respond to to this lengthy survey. I know it probably took a significant amount of time to complete, and and we're certainly grateful for that information uh, that you provided us. So uh, having said that, of course, we received 711 uh, completed surveys. 123 of those indicated that they had exited the dairy business at some point prior to our survey, which results in uh, completed surveys from 588 active dairies. We received uh, completed surveys from dairies in 55 out of Pennsylvania's 67 counties, Lancaster County, uh, of course, is the county with the most dairies in the state uh, uh, ended up sending in the most completed surveys as well with 142. And then Franklin County was second uh, with 40 dairies, so a pretty big drop off from the first to the remaining ones. But if you add up the responses from the counties that uh, sent in the most uh, um, surveys, uh, was 353 total of the 588, and this was 60% of the total surveys received. So no no surveys were received from 12 counties, meaning that the remaining 40% or 235 surveys, of course, came from the remaining 45 counties. Cow numbers uh, had a really wide range, as you might expect. Uh, it ranged from a low of just four cows to a high of 3,000 cows. With this range uh, in, in cow numbers, of course, it was necessary to split them up into different uh, size categories, and so I decided to split these up into four. 
they uh, were less than 50 cows and then 50 to 99 cows, 100 to 199 cows, and then the largest category was 200 plus cows. The distribution of the dairies was 24% in the less than 50 category, 43% in the 50 to 99 category, 19% in the 100 to 199, and then the remaining 13% in the 200 plus category. So if you're paying attention to those numbers and you add up, it adds up to 99%, but uh, of course, uh, uh, that's that's just due to, to rounding error. So it's not surprising that uh, over 60% uh, uh, of the dairies are in the in the less than 100, uh, two, two categories that were less than 100 with an average herd size of less than 100 here in Pennsylvania. Okay. Well, thanks for giving us that background. It's interesting to hear where exactly in Pennsylvania we received responses from. So let's move into the actual results of the dairy survey. Um, what did you learn from the survey about the demographics of the primary operator on Pennsylvania dairy farms? Well, the first thing I'll talk about is, is male versus female operators, and, and not surprising, 95% of the survey responses indicated that the primary operator was male, while the remaining 5% were female. Uh, there, were, there was a trend in uh, um, herd size with uh, female primary on, owners uh, more frequently uh, being the primary operator on, on the smaller uh, farms uh, and 83% of the, the female primary operators reported managing dairies from the less than 50 and the 50 to 99 herd size categories. This, of course, certainly does not imply that females can't manage larger dairies, but based on our data set, they are, uh, are more likely to manage smaller dairies as reported by our, our survey participants. The average age of survey respondents was 54 years, with uh, male primary operators on average younger than female primary operators. The average male operator is 51 compared to 58 for female operators. And one interesting uh, thing I, I, I saw in the results is that in general, the age of the primary operator increased as the herd size increased. So I'm sure there's several possible reasons for that, but I just, uh, that sort of caught my eye and as I was putting the information together and, and found it interesting. The survey also asked uh, the respondents to uh, um, note what their business structure is. 70% of the surveys that answered this question said they were sole proprietors. 15% uh, were uh, some type of partnership. 8% were limited liability companies or LLCs. Corporations made up about 3%. Self-employed uh, made up a slightly less than 3%, and then at less than 1%, uh, a couple of dairy, couple of dairies uh, indicated a business structure other than, than the ones I previously mentioned. Very interesting. Okay. So what about herd demographics? What trends did you find there that you can share with us? Well, these, these of course, are, are pretty interesting. The average herd size of the respondents was 136 cows with a, a per cow uh, daily average of 65.8 pounds or uh, 20,068 pounds per cow annual average. Respondents were asked to provide just a one day's total production from which these averages were calculated. So I did not adjust these totals for seasonality. So actual production, 
may have been somewhat different than uh, how I estimated it, but it still provides a, a baseline for us, us to look at. So in the last few days, we learned that Pennsylvania's 2020 milk production per cow averaged 21,321 pounds annually. So on average, survey respondents' production was lower than the state average. There were definite trends based on herd size. In general, milk production increased as herd size increases increased, excuse me. Herds in the 200 plus category were the highest with uh, 21,760 pounds per cow compared to uh, the the smallest uh, less than 50 cow category 16,254. The 50 to 99 category was sort of the anomaly in in this group with 18,218 pounds per cow compared to 17,829 in the 100 to 199 herd size. But in general, uh, milk production per cow increased as, as uh, uh, herd size increased. There's a there's over a third 3,500 pound difference between the 200 plus and the next highest uh, 50 to 99 herd size category, and more than 5,500 pounds difference compared to the comparing the 200 plus to the uh, less than 50. The only question asked about milk quality on the survey was to indicate what range the annual somatic cell count fell in. So uh, uh, with just providing a range, we couldn't really come up with any averages or anything, but it is it is important to, to note how many um, uh, dairies fell into the certain categories. And those categories, uh, there were four. The, the first category was less than 100,000 uh, somatic cell count. Uh, the second category is 100,000 to 150. The third is 150 to 250. And then the last category is 250, uh, over 250,000. It's encouraging to me to see that 57% of surveys indicated having somatic cell counts of 150,000 or less. However, it would be nice to see more dairies move into the lower two categories. As we all probably know, mastitis research shows that once a cow's somatic cell count reaches 200,000, she may have uh, reduced milk production, even though she may not show any clinical signs of infection. According to DHA IA records that I look at on a monthly basis, Pennsylvania's average somatic cell count has decreased over the last several years. In January, the latest data available, uh, the Pennsylvania somatic cell count or the somatic cell count of the over 2,000 herds that tested in the month of January was 186,960 under that 200,000 threshold, so that's good. Yeah, that is good. Um, there, well, yeah, that, it does sound like you found a lot of trends with herd size that are pretty interesting. So. For the second goal of the survey, I know you were assessing the impact that the first few months of COVID-19 pandemic had on Pennsylvania dairy farms. So what can you tell our listeners about that objective? This was uh, one, of the, one of the main reasons that uh, uh, um, we, we worked in, in conjunction with uh, the uh, Penn State Smeal College of Business. They were Really interested in in the effect of the impact of uh, COVID during that time frame, and and so we uh, I did my own analysis of some of those data, and one of the question one of the questions asked was to see if uh, due to COVID nineteen impacts 
if if a dairy expected to exit the dairy business within the next three to six months. So luckily, 96% of those dairies expected to stay in business with only 4% reporting that they may completely, excuse me, they may contemplate exiting the dairy business because of COVID. And of course, when asked why they were thinking about exiting, exiting the dairy business, uh, unsurprisingly, the most common answer was economics. Uh-huh. I know we're all familiar with the milk dumping that happened throughout the pandemic and Several Pennsylvania dairies reported having to dump milk in March, April, or May of last year. So did you guys ask survey respondents anything about dump milk, or did the survey results show any trends for that? Yeah, we, we asked uh, if any of the dairies had had, had to dump milk during those th that three-month period. And 60 dairies reported having dumped milk during those three months, at some point and during those three months. A total of nearly 2 million pounds was reportedly dumped by these 60 dairies. Uh, seven dairies in the uh, largest herd size, the 200 plus herd size, reported dumping nearly 1.1 million pounds, contributing to more dumped milk than the other 53 dairies combined. They, they, uh, they, those seven dairies dumped over 150,000 pounds more milk over that three months uh, than than the uh, other three uh, sizes combined based on on the on uh, the answers given in our survey however if you if you look on a percentage basis basis it's slightly different herds in the 100 to 199 category actually reported the most uh, uh, the highest percentage of the production dumping 19% of their production while uh, the less than 50 cow dairies dumped 15%, 50 to 99 cow dairies dumped 10%, and then uh, um, the 200 plus cow dairies dumped uh, um, about 9.8%. So even though 200 plus cows dumped the most milk, uh, they dumped a smaller percentage compared to the other three size categories. April, of course, in Pennsylvania was the height of the initial phase of the of the shutdown uh, during the pandemic, and and uh, there was, of course, there was a huge shift in demand from food service, with the food service being shut down to uh, to uh, uh, retail, which caused a lot of logistical issues, and and uh, of course resulted in the majority of the milk reported being dumped was dumped in in this month. Uh, compared to to uh, March or uh, uh, May. So why don't we talk, move into talking about some of the financial-related results you discovered during your analysis? I think this part's really interesting, especially since you are our risk education manager at the center. So did the survey address any factors that you consider important to risk management? Yeah, we we uh, included a few questions to uh, to sort of uh, gauge uh, how many people or how many dairy farms were using some sort of risk management. And I uh, found some interesting results and, and uh, not necessarily surprising results, but results that are uh, a little bit concerning. So uh, survey respondents were asked if they calculate their cost of production. Uh, and in, uh, in a separate question uh, or sort of a follow-up question, they were asked to rank the importance of decreasing, decreasing their cost of production. And those results were somewhat uh, contradictory. Only 29% of surveys reported knowing or calculating their cost of production. 
However, when they were asked to rank the importance of reducing the cost of production, 91% of the respondents ranked it as somewhat or very important uh, versus 9% saying that it wasn't important. So this says to me that farmers understand the importance of knowing cost of production, but for some reason they don't calculate it. Maybe they, they've never taken the time to do it. Maybe they don't know how to do it, uh, but it's it's a... Uh, it's an issue that we as an industry should should help take up and, and help uh, dairy farmers calculate their cost of production. Because uh, in order to decrease your cost of production, you first got you first have to know what it is. So uh, um, um, in a nutshell, they understand that it's important, but for whatever the reason, uh, not many uh, people at this point uh, calculate their cost of production. Another uh, question was asked if dairy farmers have used crop insurance or milk price risk management. Only 26% of dairies responded that they have used crop insurance. Crop insurance is usually thought of as insurance on row crops, which is true. But corn grown for silage can be covered by crop insurance to help protect, protect against losses due to drought or, or overly wet conditions, as well as uh, protect against revenue losses of any cash crops that the dairy uh, farmer grows as well. There are two milk price risk management programs available under the National Crop Insurance Program as well, which of course are dairy revenue protection and the livestock gross margin for dairy. Only 38% of surveys reporting having used some sort of milk price risk management. Milk price volatility over the last several years is perhaps the worst it's ever been. Uh, using milk price risk management can help protect against unexpected drops in milk price, and there are more options now than ever uh, before to help dairy farmers manage that milk price risk. And there were some trends in, in herd size there as well on both the crop insurance and uh, milk price risk management question with, with uh, smaller farms being less likely to uh, use uh, crop insurance or risk milk price risk management than the larger larger dairies. Now we, we certainly understand that uh, the crop insurance program and, and milk uh, price risk management options like dairy margin coverage and dairy revenue pro, uh, the dairy revenue program are government programs. And there are there is a portion of Pennsylvania dairy uh, farmers that uh, do not participate participate in government programs because of their religious or moral beliefs. That is understood and, of course, respected, but if those reasons do not pertain to you, these programs can be a huge help in mitigating lost revenue. Yeah, definitely, and um, I don't think you mentioned this, Zach, but we always encourage if you ever need help calculating your cost of production or want to learn more about the DMC and DRP programs and how they might work for your dairy, Zach is a great resource and always available to help um, walk farms through that process. So. Thanks again, Zach. I think this was a lot of information, but I do think our listeners will find it interesting. So do you have anything else you want to share about the dairy survey while I have you? Yeah, just in the interest of time, we I tried to sort of take out uh, some of the highlights. Um, and uh, these the results mentioned here, again, are just a few of what's in the complete survey. We hosted a webinar uh, last Friday, February 19th, that provides more detail than I did here. It was recorded and is available along with the full written report and a PDF summary online. You can find all of these resources by going to www.centerfordairyexcellence.org. 
and uh, scroll down to the bottom of the page to the latest news and featured article section, or you can click on the menu icon at the top left of the page and then click on PA Dairy Goodness That Matters icon to get to those results. So with that, I would like to uh, again thank uh, the 711 participants that sent in their completed survey. I know it was time consuming, and, and but it provided us with some very good data, and, and we appreciate that. And with that, Emily, I, that's all I have for uh, uh, this podcast. Great. Well, thanks again, Zach. And I definitely encourage everyone to check out the report. There's a lot more to it than what we went over today and really interesting trends. So as always, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Amazon Music. And make sure you check out our other February podcast for the month. So thanks, everybody. We will talk to you next month.